Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. For as long as you've known me, I have been breaking one of the Ten Commandments with incredible regularity. In fact, since way before you knew me, like my entire adult life, I've been shattering that one out of these Ten Commandments. When I look back over the last several years, I would say that I have been obeying the letter of that commandment, but definitely not the spirit of that commandment. You might think to yourself, that's a really interesting way for a preacher to start a sermon, you know? In fact, you might already be thinking about how you're going to tell this story one day, and that was the last sermon that Pastor Mike ever preached. But here's what's amazing. When I tell you which one of the Ten Commandments that I've been breaking over and over and over and over again, Many of you will not lose respect for me. You will gain respect for me. So that pretty much eliminates commandments 6, 7, and 8, right? Like, don't kill people, don't cheat on Corinne, and uh, commandment number 8, do not steal. So the story of this sermon isn't going to go this way, you know? Sometimes I would end my sermon a little early, and during the closing song, I would go out into the parking lot and boost your car stereo. Doesn't go that way. See, the commandment that I've been breaking with incredible regularity, as long as you've known me, If not in letter, then definitely in spirit is the fourth commandment. And the fourth commandment says, honor the Sabbath. Honor the Sabbath. And to understand the ramifications of that, we got to go back several weeks because we've been talking about the whole concept of legalism. Legalism says that God wants a contractual relationship with people. That God will do his part as long as you do your part. In other words, that God's laws, God's commands, God's invitation to come follow me uh, isn't really an invitation at all. It's a hoop that we need to jump through to earn his love. And in that sense, legalism is from the pit of hell. Because the gospel is not a hoop to jump through. It's an invitation to take hold of a full life, not to earn God's love, but because God loves us. But we live in a overreaction world, an overreaction world. You see it everywhere. I read the other day about a town in Colorado, Thornton, Colorado. You know what they've done? They've actually outlawed mechanical barbershop holes. They've outlawed, you know, they kind of look like spinning candy canes. And the reason why they've outlawed these mechanical barbershop poles is because several motorists became so mesmerized by these barbershop poles that they actually lost control of their vehicles and crashed. And it seems like a little bit of an overreaction to me, outlaw all barbershop holes. I think what might be a better idea is outlaw the kind of people who, when driving, get mesmerized by spinning candy canes. Or how about in 2017? There was a principal in a high school in Virginia who suspended a student for shooting a spitball. When the principal was asked later if he thought he was overacting, he said, absolutely not. Assault is assault. No, I think he was overreacting, actually. Or how about the young couple from Michigan who brought their 15-month-old son for dinner at Applebee's. They ordered their son a little sippy cup full of apple juice. The problem was, by some mistake, a little bit of alcohol was added to the apple juice in this toddler's sippy cup. And the parents realized that their toddler was getting pretty sloshed when they noticed that he was hitting on the waitress and picking fights with toddlers in neighboring booths. No, 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 that's not how they told at all. What happened was he started to have a conversation with the wall. The young man was fine, but the parents were not, evidently, because they sued Applebee's $25,000 
for emotional distress. It seems like overreaction to me. But you understand, like, our whole culture at this point is based on overreaction. We, we live in what is called now an attention economy. In other words, your focus is monetized. So when you go on the internet, you notice that there's things called clickbait. And that is meant to grab your attention because we live in an attention economy. So you might be scrolling through an article and you get to the bottom of it and it says something like this. 15 things that all Canadians should fear. Number seven will terrify you. And so you go, oh no, like I, I better figure this out. And so you, you click and you get to number seven and you realize that number seven says, the one thing that Canadians should be terrified of is that the Toronto Maple Leafs win the Stanley Cup, which is a good point. We should all be terrified of that. But the point is we live in a culture of uh, overreaction. And what does that mean spiritually? Well, here's what it means. So here we have legalism and legalism says, look it, um, God wants you to jump through hoops to earn his love, which is a lie from the pit of hell. But the overreaction to that actually has a name and the name is anti-legalism. So anti-legalism says, because legalists have come along and said God's law is a hoop to jump through, we're gonna ignore God's law. We're, we're, we're gonna reject his commands and we're going to say no to his invitation to follow him. I would suggest to you that that is an overreaction. I love what Psalm 19 says, listen to this. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, in keeping him there is great reward. See, the truth of the gospel is this, that God's commandments, God's laws, God's invitation to follow him is not a hoop to jump through. It's an invitation to step into a full life, not to earn God's love, but because he loves us. And I bring all that up because we're here in Nehemiah chapter 10. And to just to bring you up to speed a little bit on the story, Nehemiah has traveled to Jerusalem from Susa. And the reason he came there was because the walls of Jerusalem were broken down and the people were vulnerable and afraid. So Nehemiah assembles a team and they rebuilt the walls. And so in Nehemiah chapter 10, he brings all the people together. He says, look at these walls. They're all done. So now, what about building something beautiful? What about building beautiful lives within these walls? And he leads the people into three covenants. The first covenant was a covenant on marriage. Man, if I had to boil down the secret of marriage in one short statement, I would say it this way, marry your best friend. Isn't that a simple thing to say? Just really, really difficult to do. If you want to find out more about that, you can go back onto our podcast or onto YouTube on September 20th, and uh, you can hear a lot more. But the second covenant is the one that I want to talk about today. Listen to this, Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 31. When the neighboring peoples bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or any holy day. Every seventh year, we will forego working the land and will cancel all debts. Commandment number four, the Sabbath. There it is. See, the fourth commandment goes back to the very beginning. In six days, God created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. And on the seventh day, he rested. And God did not rest on the seventh day because he was winded. God rested to establish a principle, a pattern called the Sabbath. 
And in Leviticus chapter 25 in the Old Testament, the, sta- the Sabbath is broken down further. First of all, there's the Sabbath day. On the seventh day of every week, you take a rest. And then Leviticus 25 talks about the Sabbath year. After six years, on the seventh year, give the land and give the animals that work the land a rest. And then it talks about the year of Jubilee. So after seven sevens. So after 49 years, on the 50th year, it's the year of Jubilee. And on the year of Jubilee, give each other, give others a rest. Release them from their debts. Release them from bondage. Restore the land that they had lost. And I don't want to get legalistic about this. Do you understand? Like, I don't want to say we need to do exactly this, exactly this way. But I also don't want to be an anti-legalist that throws it all out. Because there's a principle here that we can't miss. There's an invitation here that we actually can't miss. It's an invitation called Sabbath. And it's an invitation to kindness. I would say it's kindness on three levels. Kindness to creation, kindness to each other, and kindness to ourselves. So first, let's talk about kindness to creation. Genesis 1 says this. God spoke. Let us make human beings in our image make them reflecting our nature so they could be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself, and every animal that moves on the face of the earth. He created them male and female. God bless them. Prosper, reproduce, fill earth, take charge. Be responsible for fish in the sea and birds in the air for every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. We need to be kind to creation. So in other words, you and me, like, God placed us at the pinnacle of creation. And he said, your job is to look after this world. Don't treat it like a rental car. So as a Christ follower, I really need to care about the environment. I need to care about the sky and the ocean and the lakes and the rivers and the forests and the mountains. That needs to matter to me. I don't treat this world like a rental car. And when it comes to animals, I would not ever as a Christ follower be be cruel to an animal. So maybe you're looking at me right now going, oh, wait a minute, Mike, so, you, so you're saying that we, we shouldn't hunt and we should all be vegetarians? No, I'm not saying that, actually. I don't have a problem with hunting, and I am most definitely not a vegetarian. I'm suggesting, though, that we should never be cruel to an animal. When my daughters were growing up and getting close to the age where they could date, I told them right away, I said, I would never want you to date somebody who would be cruel to an animal. I have a Jewish Christian friend, a Southsider, who said this, He said, in Jewish culture, animals belong to God. He loves them. And people are to be good stewards of them and treat them kindly. Just as the Jews are to rest on the Sabbath, God also mandated that the work animals rest as well. Actually, kindness to animals is a very ancient concept and a big deal in Jewish culture. The rabbis say that how a society treats its animals is an indicator of its moral health. In other words, cruelty is cruelty. Sabbath is an invitation. It's an invitation to kindness, kindness to creation and kindness to each other. I remember years ago, I took my four sons early on a Saturday morning out for breakfast to a restaurant in town here that is famous for making great breakfast. But that restaurant was a little infamous that day. That restaurant was having a very, very tough day. Our waitress in particular was rattled. She was having a shocker. Okay, so when we sat down at the table, it took her forever to come over. I don't think she saw us sit down. And when she got there, she took our drink order. When she finally came back with our drinks, 
Uh, she got them all wrong. And, and what I don't mean is that, you know, you got my orange juice and I got your apple juice. What I mean is like, they were all wrong. Like my son Samuel had a virgin Caesar and none of us wanted like Clamato juice and celery salt that day. So we like, we said, hey, um, can we just send these back? And so we did, but she never came back with our real drinks. So when our food came, our food was also all wrong, but we had learned our lesson from the drinks. And so we decided we're not sending it back. We're just going to make the best of it. We're just going to eat the best we can. And, and one of our items actually sat on the heat, under the heat lamps for our entire meal. We kept looking at it and we were saying, man, should we just go up and grab it real quick? But we never did. And finally, when everybody was finished, she finally brought uh, that last meal there. And then when everybody was finished eating, she finally brought the last meal over. So the point was, she was having a bad day. Like she was rattled. And I remember when I got the bill. I want to tell you something about me. I am a very generous tipper. I spent years as a waiter, and so I understand how that can really make your day when you get a great tip. And that's the kind of customer that I try to be. But I'm telling you, I sat there when I got the bill, and I thought, she had a shocker. Like, this was terrible. And I wasn't sure what to do. And, and, and then I felt God's voice just say this to me. Is she having a good day or a bad day, Mike? And I said, she's most definitely having a bad day. And he asked, do you want to make it better or do you want to make it worse? And I said, I want to make it better. And so I left her a bigger tip than I would have given her even if she had done a perfect job. And so I'm walking out of the restaurant. Keep in mind, I feel like I had never seen our waitress in my entire life. So we're walking out the front door and, and she stops and she calls out, see you Sunday, Pastor Mike. And when I tell you that, this is what you think. You think that the moral of the story is this. Man, be nice to people. You never know who you're running into. But that's not true. You always know who you're running into. Every single person you will ever meet is a child of God. Infinitely valuable, infinitely loved, and infinitely worth dying for. So be kind to each other. And it's funny because I tell you a story about a waitress that I didn't really know. But in some ways, it's a lot more difficult being kind to the people that are closest to us, isn't it? Being kind to your spouse, being kind to your kids, being kind to your parents, being kind to your old friends. But we need to, you know. Give them a rest. Give, give, give them a rest from the weight of your unrealistic expectations. Give them a rest from the burden of your petty grudges. Give them a rest from your bad day. Which brings me to invitation number three. See, because the Sabbath is an invitation. It's an invitation to kindness. Kindness to creation, kindness to each other, and finally, kindness to ourselves. And this is the one that I'm not great at. And I don't think you are either. There's a German-born Korean philosopher whose name I actually cannot pronounce. He wrote a book called The Burnout Society. And the last line of the book is so powerful. He said, a vast majority of Western society is walking around too alive to die and too dead to be alive. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I can stand up here today and I can tell you, hey, listen, 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 listen. You're a human being, you know, not a human doing. Did you know that? You're a human being, not a human doing. And that's great. And we get that. And we agree with that. And that sounds awesome. Here's the problem. For so many of us, all we've ever known in our lives is doing, doing, doing. And we become defined by what we do. 
back when Corinne and I first got married. I remember I got a job working at Earl's restaurant back when there was an Earl's in Abbotsford and I was a waiter. And I had just finished, I had just graduated, graduated from Trinity Western University. So we were broke. And Corinne still had one more year at Trinity Western University, which means that we were like broker than broke. Like broke, broke, broke. So I'm working about five shifts a week at Earl's and living the life. And, and I think it was about late June or early July, I sat down in the back room at Earl's with a pad of paper and a pen, and I started adding up what Corinne's tuition was going to cost, what our expenses were, and how much I was making. And it hit me. This isn't going to work. This is not going to work. And, and so I thought to myself, what am I going to do? And I came up with a plan, and here was the plan. I put a little notice up in the back room at Earl's, and the notice said this, if you ever need to take a shift off, I will take your shift. Every single time, I will do it. I will not say no. And I was very fortunate because at that particular Earl's, uh, uh, everyone liked to party a lot more than they liked to work. So I literally never took a shift off for like as long as I can remember, for months and months after that. I would work every day and every night and every day and every night and every day and every night. And at the end of it, Corinne graduated. And we paid our bills, and we ate food, (laughs) and her tuition was covered. And when it was all over, I said to myself, I did it. I did it. And after working at Earl's for a while, I transitioned into into, uh, the role of a teacher and a coach at a small private school in town. And I remember thinking to myself, man, I really want to help out with their academics and their athletics. And on the first day of school, I remember I was teaching in an English 10 classroom. And I said to them, man, I'm so happy to be able to teach you English 10. It's going to be an awesome year. And I'm also so excited to be part of the athletic program here at the school. It's going to be great. And this kid in the front row sticks his hand up and he says, Mr. Manis, you know, it's been so good meeting you today. And you seem like a nice guy. So let me give you a word of advice. Don't get your hopes up. We're terrible at sports. Like, we never win. Like, like, what I mean is, like, if you go to a school and your team has never, ever won a game, if you come to our school, you'll beat us. We're terrible. Don't get your hopes up. And I thought to myself, man, what am I going to do? And I came up with a plan. I set my alarm for 3 a.m. And I woke up every single day at 3 o'clock in the morning. And I rode my bike and I got to school by 3.30. And I prepared my classes and I taught my classes, and then I coached sports after school. And where some teachers teach about 10 months a year, for me it was a a 12-month-a-year job. Because if there was a retreat, or a conference, or a camp, or a tournament in the off-season, you had better believe I was going there, that we were going to go there. And the months went on, and the years went on, and eventually we didn't just get better at athletics and academics, uh, we became the best. And I said to myself, to some degree, I did it. I did it. Then I transitioned into the role of youth pastor here at Southside Church. I remember working the role of youth pastor for a while, and the person who was running small groups at the church came to me and they said, man, I'm really tired. Mike, would you be willing to take on small groups, leadership of small groups at the church? And I said, can do. And then a little while later, the person who was running the young adults program at the church came to me and they said, man, I'm really tired, Mike. I'm just wondering if you could also take over young adults. And I said, can do. 
And then the team that was preaching on Sundays at Southside Church at that time, uh, all of them got tired. And they came to me and they said, hey, Mike, we were just wondering, would you be willing to, uh, to, to, to preach half the Sundays moving forward? And I said, can do. So just to give you a little bit of an idea of what that means for me, is it takes me a bare minimum of 25 hours, usually more than that, for every sermon I preach. So in those days, I was preaching every Tuesday night for young adults, every Wednesday for youth, and half Sundays. You can do the math. But I got through, I juggled everything, and I made it through, and I thought to myself, I did it. And then I transitioned into the role of lead pastor. And more than ever, I decided, man, I, I gotta make sure I take a Sabbath. I gotta make sure that I take one day off a week, the letter of the law, you know? And, but what I found happening is because I was so busy the other six days a week that when the Sabbath came along, it became a day that I would do all the errands that I didn't get around to, all the chores that I didn't have a chance to do the rest of the week. So about three years ago, I went to a uh, naturopath doctor that a bunch of Southsiders told me, man, you got to go check this guy out. He's awesome. And I thought, man, it it might be kind of fun, actually. I just want to make sure I'm hitting on all cylinders, you know. So I go to this naturopath doctor, and he, uh, I was with him for about a half an hour, and then he asked me this question. He says, "Uh, what are you doing here? (laughs) And I didn't want to say, for fun, you know. And, And so I just came up with the first thing that hit my mind. I said, I want more energy. And he said to me, he said, the only way that I could give you more energy is to prescribe you methamphetamines. And I was so, like I acted serious, but I was so proud. I was so stoked. That's right. I got so much energy. Get her done. Get her done. That's me. You got it. The only way that I could have more energy is methamphetamines. You got it because I get it done. That's who I am. And just a little over a year later, I went back to that same naturopath. And he said, uh, uh-oh. <laughs> you never want a doctor to say, uh-oh. He said, something's gone wrong. I said, what do you mean? And then he, he gave me this explanation. I don't really know exactly the technical term for it, so I'm going to give you like the Mike Manis abridged version. He basically said this, that your adrenal, your adrenal system flipped you the bird. Your adrenal system said, peace out. We're done. Like you've been doing and 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 not resting, we're done. Enough fight or flight, we're done. And so I'm on a journey now. And I'm looking back into this invitation called Sabbath, an invitation to kindness. And I I guess I want to suggest to you, you want to come along? Because I'm not going to stand here right now and tell you, I'm an expert at this, man. Are you stupid? Figure it out. Like, I've been doing, no, no, like, I'm just learning. I'm just learning to be, I'm just learning to be kind to myself. And I think maybe you need to learn it too. So I'm going to throw a bunch of stuff at you. I don't often do this, but if you don't have a chance to get all of this down, let me give you my email address. My email address is Mike at southsidelife.com. You can reach out to me. If you have any questions about the journey that I'm on or if there's any way that I can pray for you as you go on this journey, accept this invitation to be kind to yourself. Man, I'd be happy to answer you. So I've broken it down for me into daily, weekly, yearly. 
So before I talk to you about my daily plan, I want to tell you this. This whole thing is going to seem like a lot of things. It should take about 10 minutes. It could take about 10 minutes, which is one one hundredth of your waking minutes. Okay? So here's my day plan. Number one, establish margin in my day. Establish margin in my day so that I'm not rushing from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing. C.S. Lewis once said, if you really want to know who you are, ask yourself, how do I respond to interruptions? So I would ask you that. How do you respond to interruptions? See, when I create a little bit of margin in my day, I find that I respond much better to interruptions. It's amazing if you read through the Gospels, what you'll see is that so much of Jesus' teaching, so much of his leading, so much of his parables, so, so much of his inspiration arose from what? An interruption. So every day I try to build margin in. Every day I, I try to spend time with God. I, I sometimes take one minute intervals where I just stop everything I'm doing and I say, Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you. I give everyone and everything to you. I'm keeping a gratitude journal where every morning I write three things that I'm grateful for and I'm going to try to go 21 days without ever repeating and then I'll start again and just, uh, just do another 21 days. But just three things that I'm grateful for. In addition to that, every morning I set my timer for two minutes and I try to remember back to one positive moment over the last 24 hours. And for two minutes, I just write about it. Also, before I start to scroll through my newsfeed or through social media, I just take a minute and I send a note of appreciation or gratitude or encouragement to one person in my life. One last thing, I try to get outside. Can be for an hour, can be for two hours, can be for one minute a day. I just try to get outside, get some sun if possible every single day. That's my day plan. And then, and then I have a week plan. So once a week, I, I take a Sabbath day. But I try to prepare for it now. In other words, I try to get the errands done that I need to get done and the chores done that I need to get done. So on that Sabbath day, I can just kind of do what I want to do or not do what I don't want to do. Just be. And I understand that this is different depending on the season of life that you're in, but that's what I'm trying to do. And then I have a year plan a year plan. I, I try to look at my year and say, how is this looking? You know, someone asked Dallas Willard once, if you could describe Jesus in one word, what would that one word be? And the word that Dallas Willard used is <clears throat> relaxed. I think that's really cool, you know. I think that's really cool. So I wonder if we look back at our year, whether we would see, yeah, it looks pretty relaxed to me. Bill, Bill Gates says that busy is the new stupid, and I get what he means. Busy is the new stupid in so many ways. Be, 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 because we, go, we get so busy working in our life that often we don't have the opportunity to work on our life. Can, can I give you one last suggestion before I move on? On the one Sabbath day per week, can I suggest that you unplug from your phone? So, so let me tell you something that I've told you a lot over the last month or so. In 2020, it's very important that you know this, that your exposure to social media increases your anxiety, your depression, and your polarization. 
So I would suggest that once a week you unplug from your phone. If you want more information on this, go on to Netflix and watch the documentary, The Social Dilemma, in which you will find that many of the people who founded the social media platforms that you use has said to their kids they will not give them a phone. But that's it. That's my day plan, my week plan, and my year plan. See, Sabbath is an invitation. It's an invitation to kindness. I want to end with a, a story, a passage, and a prayer. A story, a passage, and a prayer. So I've really been pressing into this idea of accepting God's invitation to rest. And so over the last six weeks, Corinne and I have actually taken two different week-long trips. The first one we took was uh, to Fairmont Hot Springs. And, and, and we got there, we drove nine hours to get there, and I said to Corinne, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? And she said, I, I just want to read. I just want to hang out and read. I'm like, okay. Well, would, would it be okay if I go golf? She said, you can golf as much as you want. I said, okay. So I went to the golf course, and I found out that at this particular golf course, they had a one-week membership that came with a cart. And you could golf as much as you were able to for one week. Well, I bought it when I only had five days left in my holiday, but in five days, I managed to golf 234 holes. That's a lot of golf. And I didn't even get much better, which is lame, but that's not really the point. And so uh, we drove home, and then someone asked me, man, that's so cool you went away with Corinne. What was your favorite part of it? And, and you know what's weird? It, it wasn't the 234 holes of golf, even though they were fun. It was the nine hours there and the nine hours back just being in the car with my wife. So in the last week of September, we, we went to a cabin right on Okanagan Lake and I kind of learned my lesson, you know. I'm going to maybe do a little less and be a little more. So we got there and, and uh, I, I, I did some reading. And the reading that I did, it wasn't like 10 ways to be more productive. It was like just reading for fun. I read this book. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. So there's this book. There's this kid, right? And, uh, and, and, and he lives, listen, he lives in this cupboard underneath these people's stairs. He's got this lightning scar on his forehead and he goes to this school called Hogwarts. It's crazy. Super interesting. Now I went paddleboarding a lot. I'm not great at it, but it's just awesome. I went for hours, actually. I remember one day I was just paddleboarding on the lake, and this eagle flew like right over top of me. And I just watched it as it like soared right into this evergreen tree, took a couple steps, and then just disappeared. And I thought to myself, man, isn't that amazing? That's just an eagle being an eagle. <laughs> He's just soaring. That's what eagles do. They soar. He's just flying. That's what eagles do. He's just looking incredible. That's what eagles do. He's just being an eagle. And I thought, and here I am, and this is just Mike. And I'm just being Mike. It's crazy when you think about it because there's that eagle, and that eagle's just being an eagle. But around the world, uh, when an eagle comes by, when an eagle soars by, what do people do? They stop whatever they're doing. They look up and they go, oh, it's beautiful. It's amazing. It's incredible. And I felt like as I was standing on that paddleboard, I was just Mike being Mike. And you know what? That's beautiful. And it's amazing. And that's incredible. 
I started chasing ducks on the paddleboard. Okay, you're like, well, isn't that cruel, Mike? No, not at the speed that I paddle. I'm super slow. So, so, so what I would do is I, I would go after ducks. And the reason I would is just, just, just to see them dive. Have you ever noticed this? So I, I would paddle after a duck and it would look at me and go, man, you're so slow. But eventually this duck would like, they go underwater and they swim away. And I mean, they swim so far away. You have to like look and look and look to see where this duck resurfaces. Sometimes it's like 35 meters away. And it's crazy. And one time I just said, Ducky, you be you. So I said, said, Ducky, you be you. And I thought to myself, maybe God was saying to me, hey, Mikey, you be you. Because it's beautiful. It's amazing. It's incredible. And on the second last night that we were there, I built a campfire on the shore of the lake. I got a picture that I took uh, to show you right now. I'm pretty proud of it. It's one of those live pictures, so it's kind of a video too, but I don't know. I just, I'm kind of proud of that picture because I was just there with Corinne and it was just us being us. That's the thing about Sabbath. Sabbath is just an invitation. It's an invitation to kindness. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 11. He said, come to me if you are weary or burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find, you will find, you will find rest for your soul. And that's it. You are not what you do. You are who you are, and you're just you being you, and that's beautiful. And I just want to give you one opportunity right now to kind of get off this cycle of doing and doing and doing and doing and doing. And I want to tell you again about Jesus. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, stepped into human history. He lived and he died and he rose again. And he did it so that you could get off of the treadmill of performance-based acceptance. In other words, what I'm saying is you're accepted because of his performance. It's not about what you do. It's about what he already did. And there's, there's this moment where we just accept what Jesus did for us so that we can just be his child and, and, and put away that need to impress, put, it, put away that need to jump through hoops, that he forgives every sin and makes us absolutely, completely right. So I want to give you the chance to do that, to step off this treadmill of doing and doing and doing right now. And uh, the way I'm going to do that is I'm just going to pray. So I would invite you to pray along with me. If you've never invited Jesus to be your Savior and your Lord, you can do it with me right now, wherever you are. So dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you that I am accepted because of your performance. So because of what you did at the cr- on the cross, Jesus, I just hand you everything. I hand you all my effort. I hand you all my mistakes. I hand you all my sin. And I just pray that you would forgive me and give me a, a blank slate, a new beginning right now. I'm your child. And that's enough. And that's beautiful. And that's incredible. And I thank you. In your name. Amen. Amen. So if you just prayed that prayer and invited Jesus into your life, man, I'm so stoked for you. What I would love for you to do right now is just take a second and text the keyword LIFE, L-I-F-E, to 604-670-3040. We don't want to stalk you, but we do want to support you. And before we go today, I want to turn it over to my incredible wife, Corinne. She's prepared a prayer for all of us to, to maybe further this idea and put us in a place of spiritual rest. So thank you. I love you guys, and we will see you next week.
Pastor Mike has challenged us about rest and about how important it is for us as human beings to intentionally pursue rest as part of our lives. Rest isn't just for certain people, for older people, for different people. Finding and maintaining a sense of peace in our daily lives is vital if we want to experience a full life, a real life, what Jesus calls the abundant life. So no matter who you are today, you may be a young person who doesn't think emotional or spiritual burnout is something you could possibly experience, or you may be someone who has come out on the other side of fatigue and burnout, or maybe you're right in the middle of a time of discouragement and exhaustion. No matter who you are, I think all of us long for a lasting soul-level peace. As we go through this short, guided prayer, let's see it as an intentional step toward opening your heart and mind to God's peace and rest. If it helps you focus on the words and shut out distractions, feel free to close your eyes as we pray. Let's say together, God, we hear you. We know that living the abundant life you want for us means that we must move towards finding consistent rest in our lives. Lord, we know that rest and peace can only be found in you. We look to your word today to help lead us into a place of true and lasting rest and peace. As we look around us for some good news and hear nothing but fear and division and uncertainty, Help us to remember to look away from the world to you. You are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And no matter what is happening around us, no matter what we read or what we hear, we do not have to be afraid because you promise to be with us and you promise never to leave us. And as we let that truth sink in, that you are with us, that you will never leave us, Help us begin to feel peace enter our hearts and minds. Psalm 4, 6-8 says, Many are asking, who can show us any good? Let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. You have filled my heart with greater joy than when their grain and new wine abound. I will lie down and sleep in peace, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. It is you alone, Lord, who make us dwell in safety. Not the news, not politicians, not the experts, not even the actual state of the world we see around us. You have filled my heart with joy. You alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. I confess that lately my heart doesn't feel full of joy, and so I will remember right now all of the reasons that I have for joy. I remember that your death and resurrection saved me from my sins and from death itself. I remember, Lord, that you love me. I remember that you are always beside me. I remember that nothing, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither my fears for today nor my worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate me from your love. 
As I remember these reasons for joy, I feel gratitude for them. I also feel gratitude for the many good things that you have filled my life with. Take a moment to think of the good things God has filled your life with and to thank him for them. I recognize that all of these good things bring me joy. Lord, I ask that you would help me as I let this joy replace any fear that is in my heart. As we end this prayer and reflection, let's listen again to the words of Psalm 4, 6-8. Many are asking, who can show us any good? Let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. You have filled my heart with greater joy than when their grain and new wine abound. I will lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. I will lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.